This is a Founding Media Podcast, produced at Austin Community College District. Welcome back to Science in the Mall, y'all. I'm your co-host, Dan Dillard, and we're back with part two of Marcia and Mauricio's conversation about the cool science they've been doing since they left their internships at ACC's Bioscience Incubator. We kick off this episode with a conversation about Mauricio's work as a clinical laboratory scientist. He helps detect things like leukemia lymphoma in patients in a medical setting, which helps doctors make decisions about patient care. Marcia and Mauricio dive into the science of his day-to-day work and then discuss how the biosciences are an exciting frontier of innovation that gives them a chance to learn and grow every day. They get into the kind of mindset that is essential to be a successful scientist and close out with some invaluable advice for all of our listeners. Let's jump right in. To do my line of work, which is um, basically screening uh, patient samples for different markers that might indicate they might have a sort of leukemia or lymphoma, uh, I use antibodies to try and get that sort of data. And I don't make these antibodies because that would be ridiculous. I have to buy them from someone. Someone has mm-hmm. to make them, you know? So although Marsha's uh, applications right now aren't for right. those kinds of things, eh, she has more mm-hmm. of a therapeutic mm-hmm. approach from what I understand. Uh, it's still companies yeah. like hers that I would rely on and right. that so many hospitals need to rely on to be able to do all of these tests. Well, and I assume that because you are testing clients and or patients, and some of those patients have the, the deficit in their system that Marsha's company may have a solution at some point that will make that happen, I guess, very loosely. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and as far as when you, even when you look at um, genetics, genetic ther- therapies right now, even um, – with what Mauricio does, you've got early detection. I mean, like, it's right there. So it's not like even where it was 15 years ago, what we considered early detection might be, you might be in your second stage. Yeah. Yeah. So it what was found at first stage, but now with what Mauricio does, you can find it as it's just barely developing. Because if the gene is broken or the gene is defective, mm-hmm. the protein that it makes, which is all a gene is, is just like the code for a gene. I mean, for a protein, kind of like, you know, there's a code behind the scene for blue Calibri point, you know, 10 point font, right? It's just some code mm-hmm. that tells it. So if the gene is messed up, then the proteins can be messed up. And so the antibody will bind, won't bind to it. Or you can make an antibody that's really specific to the messed up version and, and detect whether it's mm-hmm. there. You know, there's like all these different ways to to use that for detection, like she's saying. So do genes change all the time? I thought the genetic code was like something that, I guess maybe I'm thinking DNA. DNA is something that's from the very beginning. Oh, exactly. But it can, I mean, it replicates itself all the time. And every time it replicates itself, it runs a chance of making a mistake. And there's enough like proofreaders and stuff that are in the system. But, you know, it's just like anything. If if somebody's, you know, picture that uh, Lucille Ball one where she's like in the chocolate factory and she's cruising along every once in a while and she'll eat one and all of a sudden they're flying by her and she can't keep up. If you're 
mutations and stuff are so much like from smoking or from sun exposure. It's just like break, 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 break. And the cells are like, oh, crap, crap, crap. They can't keep up. And so some of the mistakes get through. And it may, and depending on where that mistake is, it can cause disease. It just depends on Mm -hmm. what that protein was and what it was functions was and, you know, what the mistake is. And Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you look at aging, every time your DNA replicates, you have these little alleles at the bottom and those get shorter and shorter each time. Those are the telomeres, right? Yes. Listen to Dan. Yeah. And that's why, so that's why as you age, your skin is not quite as good or, you know, things start to go wrong because the DNA replication is just not as clean and swiftly cut as it was Mm -hmm. when you were 10 or 20 or 30. Mm -hmm. It tends to, it's a little lazy as it gets older. Let me put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, honestly, I find it surprising that, uh, mutations aren't even more common than they are, you know, or that uh, malignancies developing from them uh, aren't as common as they are. Because, yeah, mutations happen all the time. They're random. Mm-hmm. And you can't be mad our our uh, polymerases for having a mistake here and there. I think they're working pretty hard. <laughs> they're, they're certainly working harder than most of us. Well, even uh, if there is a mistake, yeah. it just depends on where it is, right? Like every... Yeah. If it's not an important part or, you know, every, go back to your seventh grade biology, every three mm-hmm. nucleotides makes an amino acid. And so if it's mm-hmm. in, and they're, they overlap, like there's like six different ones that code for the same amino acid. And so if the mistake is somewhere in there that it can still make that amino acid, then the mistake just gets, you know, it's invisible. It doesn't matter. And even if it does make a mistake somewhere internally in the cell too, I mean, we've got all those cell checks, all those interleukins, everything is checking it every time and it's, we've got stops in the cells. So even if one cell does get a mutation in it, the cell cycle usually will stop it from replicating. Right. It's just yeah. finding out those cells. And you have two copies of all these genes. You got one from your mom and one from your dad. And if one of them is cranking out and making this protein, no problem. And the other one's making a stupid version of it. If there's enough of it to get the process done with the good one, then everything just carries on like normal and you don't even know that you have a messed up copy somewhere. So yeah. crazy. So, interesting. so that's what's sad of like how many things need to go wrong for a truly uh, life-changing malignancy to develop, you know? Uh, and although a lot of us in the molecular biology world kind of like think of like mutations, malignancies and so forth on like the sequence aspect of it and the sequence synthesis aspect of it. In reality, um, a lot of disorders can happen like further downstream from that process. Uh, for example, the sequence can be created and the chromosome can start taking shape. And some leukemias, for example, can occur when in the cell division process, there's a translocation that happens between two chromosomes that isn't supposed to happen. So if the sequence is perfect, but in the cell division, you have two chromosomes that translocate on top of each other when they're not supposed to, that's going to have a huge impact, you know, arguably a bigger one than you would have if you have a couple of base pairs that are wrong, you know. Um, and that's the way that uh, scientists do genetic analysis to uh, try and figure out what kind of leukemias some patients have. Not related to my line of work uh, entirely, but yes, uh, I think uh, one of the um, gold standards for diagnosing, uh, for example, uh, chronic myelogenous leukemia is looking for a specific type of translocation. 
Oh, you've gotten so big. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. So how much of this did you know by the time you started biotech? Well, how much of this did you know by the time you finished biotech? How much of this did you know by the time you left ABI? I, I mean, I think like it's a young person thing. Uh, to overestimate your knowledge. <laughs> and it's I think that's definitely one of the better aspects of higher education is that uh, it usually humbles you and it exposes you to how little you actually know and how much you truly don't know. Uh, so I think when I started the biotech program, when I got into ABI, um, I actually felt really overconfident about like my knowledge of molecular biology and just biology in general. Um, and the longer I stayed at ABI, the more I realized, like, oh, I, like, know basically nothing, <laughs> you know? Like, just, like, such a small, ridiculously small amount of knowledge in there. And uh, when I started my program after ABI, it, like, just continued that trend, you know? So I'd say that um, if you think you truly know it all in any specific field in bioscience, it just means that you haven't really been exposed to that much, you know? <laughs> or you're um, that or you're just not hungry enough. Because yeah. bio, the bioscience has changed. It seems like every freaking yeah. day there is some new thing coming out, some new concept, some new thought, some any, it just, it literally just changes. Yeah. And I have been, I was very fortunate that I, I did not have any manufacturing experience. I didn't have clean room experience. Um, and XBiotech took me on, but I would be, I am thankful that I go to work every day and I still learn something new. I'm never going to say I know it all I'm, that I'm at the top of my field. Other than that sounds really boring because you wouldn't have it. You wouldn't be learning every day. There's yeah. gotta be, there's gotta be that. What am I going to learn today? What's going to spark some new thought in me? Cause if I'm learning mm-hmm. something new, then that changes your, your thought process of other stuff. It's, mm-hmm. I'm rambling. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I would argue. I would argue that that's not necessary, and that you could walk in there and be the drone that does the crap that goes home and whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, I think no. I'm saying be- right, and I'm going to argue that yeah. the reason that you are, you know, have a, a more lofty title and are actually moving up and doing that is because of what you just said, right? It's because yeah. of your hunger for knowledge and the fact that you're not a jerk that thinks you know everything and that you're willing to try no. things that are new. I, I mean, I work around some great, I mean, there's PhDs. Um, there's people that have been don't know years in this and I, you know, I listen to them, you know, I want to hear what they have to say. I want to hear what they have. And I've also got people that just started that come up with ideas Mm-hmm. And they could be fabulous ideas, but if nobody listens to them, then they're never going to get very far. So I try to learn from anybody I can and, mm. and listen to ideas because that's what makes it fun. <laughs> we love to see it. Um, and then honestly, yeah, like the way that you put it all into words, like to me, it just sounds like genuine passion, mm-hmm. you know, for like your work, for your field. Uh, and it's so important. And would you say that maybe that's what drives it, uh, your passion for this field, just the fact that there's so much to learn constantly and there's no really end in sight for that? I think that's that is that would put it into words perfectly because it does change every day. Um, I can remember my mom. She's an engineer. And she would have to – they would do like these – refresher courses because although she was an engineer she also did computers and so they'd have to do these refresher courses and 
she tended to lean more towards the computer end of it because it was changing. Okay, so she went to school with the little boxes of cards that you had to feed in and all this stuff. Um, so as, as the computer industry changed, she liked that it was growing and moving, and she tended to try to – she stayed more with that. And I think growing up, seeing that is made me want to stay that way also. To be constantly learning and watching a change. What about your passion, Mauricio? I mean, I, I love, I love that. that, and I, not take away from that, but I'm just also curious: is there any of that that reflects on you, or do you have a different, like, uh, is something else drive you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm trying myself to figure it out. Honestly, so I'm prodding at Marsha's brains because, again, like she was my first exposure to like a real like lab scientist, like you know, working in the lab. Um, so she's a bit of a role model to me, at least at the beginning of my career. And then to see her again now, like you know, as I uh, face like the struggles of my field as I like have like the harder days of my professional life. Like, I think I just want to like see for myself, like what does the role model that I looked up at the beginning, like what are they driven by, you know? And I think I do share like at least a little bit of similarity in that sense. Like if I had gone into a different profession, although you can make the argument that the learning never stops anywhere. I think that for biosciences, it's just so much bigger um as far as that truth goes and yeah i think that's probably one of the bigger ones that uh that drive me but i like can't give a 100 percent whole answer because i'm still trying to figure it out to be but i've seen frank. passion and i call bs of course like the passion is there but like where it comes from uh, what it's fed by like I, I'm like investigating that a little bit more. Well, you mentioned year. before where you've had this passion since like grade school uh, in, into science. Is that is that correct? So like yeah. I was trying to get to like, yeah. you know, and that's great that you've carried it on. And maybe it's not the same learning every day, but it's it's something way back when turned on in you. And I'm, I'm going to go down this field, which I think is really cool. And you can elaborate more on that if you want. Yeah. I mean, the more that you look at your life in retrospective, the more that it just feels like whimsical and random. Uh, because, yeah, I think when I was a little kid, like at one point I saw a video of like bacteria dividing. And I think that was probably like the nail in the coffin of like, that's what I want to do and look at and see. I want to be a bacteria when I grow up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I mean, I, I, you have to be grateful, you know, when like just tiny, like seem almost borderline insignificant moments, just like drive the rest of your passions in life and like what you end up devoting yourself to, like, it's kind of beautiful. What can I say? Um, but, um, yeah, like I, I think that it's just so important to get as many of these resources to people like as early as possible, uh, just so that they know what they're getting into so that they know like where they can go you know um i wish i had heard of my field that i ended up committing myself to like way earlier in life um but yeah i think like just like the loose passion of science like will lead you to where it needs to lead you regardless you know that's what i love about this conversation is that if you think about the the audience that is that is going to join us in listening to this they're they've got the same questions in their mind which is like I like this. I just don't know where I'm going and I'm not sure. And there's like all these unanswered questions. And I think all of us throughout life are always changing and growing. 
but to what I love about the conversation is it allows to be like, we don't all have the answers. It just kind of develops along the way and, and things happen and they're really cool things that happen and, and just kind of, it's okay to just keep moving forward. And I bet you if we came back together, you know, 10 years from now, it'd be, you know, Oh, that was my past life. You know, now I'm doing because it is changing (laughs) and and you say yes to what's presented in front of you. Like you said, yes to getting into college and you said yes to trying, you know, an internship you didn't know about. And you said yes to, you know, putting on a bunny suit and doing whatever, like as long as you're saying yes, 10 years from now, you're probably gonna be like, Oh yeah, I did that for a while. But Oh no, I've already like moved way past that. My granddaughter came and visited me at work and I was actually, we still had some people were inside the clean room and I was able to lift her up and let her see through the window. And I said, now that's what grandma looks like when I'm actually in there. And she just gave me the weirdest look. She's like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Does she want to be clean? She's five. Uh, and she was like, why? And I was like, well, you know, we want to stay, we want to keep everything clean in there. And she's like, well, just wash your hands, grandma. And then <laughs> it's not me COVID free. So like, why don't you just do that? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but again, I thought I was showing her something, you know, look at this. This is mm-hmm. what I get to wear. And this is where I work. And she just, all she could do is just wash your hands. Can we make the, um, <laughs> I want to make the cover art for this episode, Marcia, in her outfit. Oh, that would be fun. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, well, we, do you want it in our full, because um, we have an actually full bunny suit that we wear when we sell bank that has uh, the hood. The, I mean, the full thing, you know, you basically you just see their, the eyeballs. And then when we do our everyday, um, everyday work, it's, you know, it's just, it's, well, I say it's just. It's the booties and the bib and the mask and the hairnet and the gloves and the sleeves. I think votes for everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so I have my casual and I have my dress up. Which one would you like? Dress up. <laughs> but is that – was that hard What's to that? get used to? Because, like, I think that that would be a deterrent for me. I'd be like, ooh, I don't know about that. I, I wasn't sure at first, but I really wanted to get my foot in the door. I felt like I could do the job – and if it meant that I had to change into this every day to do my job, then I was like, I'll do it. I'll try it. And it actually now it's it's part of the routine. Yeah, I didn't even think about I'm, it. It's part of who I am now because now it's just it's part of my routine. And we actually joke about it sometimes because Upstream does spend so much time inside the clean room. But I, t- I told him, I said, we should run an experiment. We should wear the same clothes every day for a week and see if anybody even notices because nobody ever really sees us outside the clean room. Maybe like five, 10 minutes in the morning, a little bit of lunch, and then we're back in. So I, I said, I bet you we could wear the same clothes everybody. Nobody, nobody would know the difference because they're used to seeing us inside in our suits. And it's true that like, you know, people that go to schools that have uniforms and like, you know, I remember in high school, I didn't, I went to public high school, we wore whatever we wanted. And people that went to these ones with uniforms, you go, oh man, that sucks for them. And they were like, this is so awesome. I don't have to think about what I wear today. I like, <laughs> nobody pays attention. Nobody's like one up each other on their fashion. It's like so much easier. Yeah. Well, this is like they said, uh, Albert Einstein wore the same outfit every day. He had different changes of it, but it was the same color shirt, same color jacket, same color pants, same shoes. And he just wore the same outfit every day so he yeah. didn't have to clutter his mind with yeah. what to wear keep your mind clean for other things for sure or open for other things mm-hmm. for sure 
But scientists also just have zero sense of fashion, so that can have something to do. I wear my science shirt. I'm very lucky because they have a very um, manufacturing. They do give us a little leeway with our dress code there, mainly because we have to change in and out of it all day. Um, So I wear jeans, um, some very nice, comfy tennis shoes, and a science shirt. Hmm. That's what I wear. I don't have to decide. I just pick out a shirt. And then I pick out a shirt, my pants, love, and then I'm off. Love it. So. Last thoughts. I'm, and I've seen Mauricio in his scrubs. and he's Oh, we need to, we need to do both. We need to make sure you both have the, the outfits on for sure. Last thoughts. I'm just curious, is there anything else other than, you know, just follow your passion and, and know that it'll develop into its own thing? Is there anything else that we should share? I, I would like to, to reiterate what Nancy said. Say yeah. yes. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Um, I, when I would take myself culture class, I thought, you know what? I want to see, I liked it. I, I mean, it was very interesting to me. It was a challenge. It was probably one of my more challenging classes. And I thought, I want to do this. But then I looked in like the, you know, indeed and for anything that said cell culture. And there was like one position and I was like, you know, there's 30 people in just this class. There's one position out there. And I thought, no, I'm still going to, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to, I am going to work in cell culture. And now here I am. But it, but it did take a lot of, it was, it wasn't like I went, oh my God. And I did it. And then it just happened. I did. I said, I, I said a lot of yeses and I took a lot of chances um, because it would have been safer not to, to, not to go so specific and it's like just cell culture. Cause there's so much you can do in biosciences. Yeah. And I was very secular of what I wanted to do. And that was a risk, but I'm, I'm glad that it paid it. off. But, the, you know, but don't be afraid. If you think, I want to try this and I want to do this, but you only see one job out there, just be the best that you can be and you will get that one job. My side of that coin would be um, if you're in a, po- in a point of your career that like you don't really know where you're going to end up, but you're given the opportunity to have like a learning experience or a job. Me, for example, in the incubator, take everything as seriously as you can and deep dive into as many things as possible because you'd never know where a couple of years down the road, a one of those things might be like the bread and butter of what you end up doing, you know? Even if you don't see it at the time, you know? The way that this field is, the many different routes you can take, you really never know how full circle it can go, as it went for me, for example, you know? Yeah, I don't know if you know that story, Marsha, but flow cytometer is his thing. He's like, came in one day, he said, Nancy, I used to struggle on that stupid thing and none of us knew how it worked, but I get it now and I can come back and show you guys because... And it's not something that we ever, you know, we did a ton of cell culture and we did, you know, FPLC comes up a lot because a lot of people played on that and stuff. Yeah. And flow cytometry yeah. was not one of them, but Mauricio did take it as his thing. And it wasn't his main thing. He did Eliza's and he did research and development and he did cell culture. He did like, like he's saying, he, he jumped in as many things. Yeah. And the yeah. flow cytometry would not have been what any of us would have guessed that he'd be like <laughs> nailing it, right? Because yeah. none of us even got it. Was like, why are you doing that? I don't just turn it off. Just turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's me like able to figure out like what QC meant and how to do QC on the flow cytometer that let me out of any applicants that applied for my position get my job. Wow. Um, I had classmates that applied for my position that had the same amount of educational credentials that I did. 
And what ended up giving me the edge was that experience in the incubator. Um, so yeah, you just never, you can never take, if you're no. giving an opportunity, like squeeze it to its limit, you know? <laughs> squeeze it like a lime. Um, yes. <laughs> no. Awesome. My psyche is just like. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, I definitely agree with that too. Think, I think that both of those are really great points of view and really great advice. I think that uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I know there's so much more we can chat about and we need to just commit to just get you guys back on the show soon. Yeah. We'd love and to. in 10 years. Thank you so much for having us. <laughs> and in 10 years. <laughs> Thanks, Mauricio and Marsha, for joining us on Science in the Mall, y'all. It's inspiring to hear your unique journeys. While becoming a doctor or a nurse is a great career path, it's exciting to consider all the other behind-the-scenes jobs in bioscience that can help others in profound ways, like the work that Marcia and Mauricio do in diagnostics and therapeutics. If you know someone who's interested in a career in bioscience, share this episode with them. And thank you so much for listening to Science in the Mall, y'all. Tune in to our next episode to learn more about Marsha's work and to get some insight into what bioscience companies look for when they're hiring. This is a founding media podcast in partnership with Austin Community College's Bioscience Incubator, which is the region's only wet lab space for Austin's growing bioscience industry. If you like this episode, like and subscribe. <laughs>